0: Welcome, I'm Prudence Robertson, and this is EWTN Pro-Life Weekly. 2022 midterm election. While it looks like Republicans have taken control of the House of Representatives, this year's midterm elections did not result in the massive red wave that many anticipated. Amber Athey, Washington editor for The Spectator and senior fellow at the Steamboat Institute, unravels election results and explains what certain wins and losses mean for the pro-life movement dangerous drugs. So-called health professionals are prescribing abortion drugs to women who aren't even pregnant and the Food and Drug Administration is raising concerns. Chelsea Yeoman, Texas State Director and National Legislative Advisor at Human Coalition, joins us to discuss these latest claims by the FDA and shares her thoughts on President Biden's pro-abortion plans now that the midterm elections have come and gone. Building a Culture of Life. A college campus missionary organization launches a video series aimed at building a culture of life. We speak to Dr. John Bishop, director of Focus Formation, who tells us the importance of these videos and the impact they can make in a post row world. It's been two days since the midterm elections, and while some races are still too close to call, it seems that the red wave many expected turned out to be more of a ripple. Republicans will likely win back the House, unseating pro-abortion Nancy Pelosi as speaker. Pro-life J.D. Vance in Ohio and Marco Rubio in Florida both secured Senate seats. Adam Laxalt in Nevada is expected to unseat pro-abortion Catherine Cortez Masto. Georgia's Senate race will go to a runoff, so we may not know who holds control in the Senate for weeks to come. Devastatingly, three states voted to enshrine abortion on demand. And two states with pro-life measures on the ballot failed to get a majority of votes to pass them. Joining me now is Amber Athey, Washington editor for The Spectator and senior fellow at the Steamboat Institute for analysis. Amber, thanks for joining me. What do you make of the results that we've seen so far, especially when you take into account how charged the issue of abortion was throughout this whole campaign cycle?
1: Yeah, I think, frankly, everyone on the GOP side really underestimated just how galvanizing of an issue that this was, because when we saw polls before the election, we saw that voters consistently did not rank abortion as a top five issue. They rated things like inflation, the economy, crime, and even the border ahead of abortion. However, when you look at the exit polls from Election Day and the early voting, of course, as well abortion was second only to inflation. So what that tells us is that the left and the pro-abortion activists are incredibly motivated by abortion and that led them to show up at the polls far more than anyone expected.
0: Yeah, and we were of course tracking what was happening in battleground states very closely over the past few weeks. And while pro-life candidates succeeded in states like Ohio and Florida, they failed to pull out a win in Pennsylvania and Arizona is looking pretty iffy at this point as well. What do you think made the difference between winning and losing here when it comes to the Senate?
1: Well, I think part of it is just candidate selection. Um, For what it's worth, I I think Blake Masters is a great candidate and it looks like he still potentially has a chance. But uh, Dr. Oz, I think, was not the best choice for Pennsylvania. And when you look at the states where Republicans did secure the Senate, they really did just run very effective campaigns. Um, I was on the ground in North Carolina following the Ted Budd campaign, and he was laser-focused on issues of inflation and crime. And so even though his opponent, Sherry Beasley, did try to hit him, for his pro-life stance she also had a really horrible crime record from her time on the north carolina supreme court so you know every race is a little bit different and it can be hard to extrapolate um, lessons from a southern state for example to a rust belt state um, but i think overall the biggest factor that uh, hurt republicans in some of these swing states is the share of the vote that was coming from gen z i mean youth voters really outpaced everyone's expectations, and they broke 70% towards Democrats. Um, So it's really hard to overcome something like that. And that's not something that any pollster on the GOP or Democratic side Anticipated happening because it's so ahistorical.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point. And you know, there's a lot of discussions about this among conservatives. I want to get your thoughts overall. Do you think championing a pro-life position in this cycle was a liability or an asset, or did it really just depend on where you were running, as you're as you're alluding to?
1: Right. I think it depended on where you were running because if you compare uh, Michigan to Kentucky, for example, both of those states had abortion measures on the ballot. In Kentucky, it was uh, voting for a constitutional amendment that would say that women did not have a right to an abortion. And that failed just by 51 percent, whereas in Michigan, a a pro-life measure failed way more significantly. And that's just because the electorate happens to hold much different views on that issue Um, Kentucky is a lot more religious than Michigan. And so every state's a little bit different on abortion. Every candidate has a slightly different message. But just this environment, I think, with Roe v. Wade being overturned so shortly before the election did make things more difficult for pro-life candidates. Because even if you go back to just 2021 in Virginia, when Governor Glenn Youngkin won his upset against former Governor Terry McAuliffe, Terry McAuliffe spent a large amount of that campaign Uh, talking about Glenn Youngkin's position on abortion because he is pro-life. And yet that didn't factor heavily into the race just because abortion wasn't really at top of mind like it is now after that Supreme Court decision.
0: Mm. And explain to me a little bit more about these ballot initiatives and what your take is. Now, California, Michigan and Vermont voted to enshrine abortion rights in their constitution. And that wasn't too surprising. Those states are very pro-abortion. But these pro-life leaning states, Montana and Kentucky, whose voters failed to pass ballot initiatives that were designed to protect unborn babies. I mean, what went wrong in these two states? And what does it say about where our country is headed on this issue?
1: Yeah, I think just when we look at um, the general electorate, even in uh, states that tend to be more pro-life, what you typically hear from people is they don't like all or nothing measures. They prefer um, maybe a 15-week ban or a heart heartbeat bill, um, these types of measures, because they're mostly concerned about what happens in the case of a mother's life being threatened or rape or incest. And I think there's a lot of misinformation coming from the media on these issues. Um, Right after Roe v. Wade was overturned, we heard a lot from the left-wing media claiming that women were going to be penalized for having miscarriages or if they um, had a life-threatening situation or an unviable pregnancy that they would be punished and accused of having um, an abortion. And so I think voters maybe had that on their mind when they look at whether or not abortion is going to be outright banned. They don't think about whether or not exceptions are included. Um, so that would be, I think, the biggest reason why those measures fail. But moving forward, I, I think it doesn't you know, bode well for um, society just in terms of Obviously, we want to end the murder of children, and if we can't get the voters on our side, that's a huge problem. But I do think that this will re-energize the pro-life movement and hopefully um, lead them to getting creative and working even harder to inform voters and to try to spread that message of love. So um, I I view this more of of an opportunity than as a setback.
0: Mm. Well, I appreciate your take on that and for all of your great analysis. Thanks so much for joining me, Amber Athey of The Spectator. To continue the discussion, we are joined now by Marilyn Musgrave, Vice President of Government Affairs at Susan B. Anthony, Pro-Life America. Marilyn, thanks for joining me. Want to get your reaction to these election results. With a hopeful pro-life majority in the House, but perhaps not the Senate, how do you expect pro-life legislative battles to play out?
2: Well, first of all, we're still very hopeful on the Senate, and boy, are we ever going to be in Georgia for Herschel Walker. And uh, while the night didn't go as well as as we had expected, what we'd hoped for and prayed for, uh, what I really know is that the candidates who found their footing on the life issue and were able to stand up and attack the extremism of the other side did very well. You know, it was a seismic shift uh, when the Dobbs decision came down. That was two-thirds into the election cycle. So a lot of pro-life Republicans just didn't want to talk about it. That did not go well. But those like J.D. Vance and others that stood up and clearly pointed out abortion on demand up to the moment of birth was what the opponent stood for. They fared very well. Yes, and one
0: thing that hasn't been spotlighted as much, but is worth pointing out, is that many governors who signed very strong pro-life protections into law right after Roe versus Wade fell enjoyed pretty easy victories on Tuesday night. I'm thinking of states like Ohio, New Hampshire, Florida, and Texas. How much did their strong stance on life in those days right after the fall of Roe impact what happened this week?
2: Well, they stood strong, and they stayed in there. Uh, Governors like Mike DeWine won by 26 percent. DeSantis by 20. DeSantis did 15 weeks. DeWine did heartbeat. And, of course, Greg Abbott in Texas won by 12 points, uh, a huge majority. And uh, he uh, is a very pro-life governor. Everybody in the country knew that, and, of course, he did very well. So we're very proud of those governors that stood for life and the voters rewarded them on election night.
0: It certainly seems like it. And we couldn't help but notice that days before the elections, National Public Radio aired an audio clip of a woman having an abortion. Do you think the release of that audio clip was strategic and and how did everyday Americans react to it?
2: Well, I think the goal was to normalize abortion A woman just goes into a clinic and has this procedure and it's over. But I tell you, Prudence, uh, when I listened to that, the moaning of the mother just broke my heart. Uh, I have a daughter that's a nurse uh, who's assisted uh, with DNCs when they were necessary for the mother. And she described to me what the procedure was like, what the sound of the vacuum was like, Mm And uh, it was heartbreaking for her, even though she knew that they were helping this woman uh, when she needed uh, medical help. So to me, you can't normalize abortion. The other side keeps saying it's health care. It's not health care. And uh, what a time we're living in when people try to say this is normal. Mm. It's not normal. Yeah. It's the taking of innocent life. Yeah. And the mother's a victim to prudence.
0: We have about a minute left, Marilyn, but I noticed SBA Pro Life America announced a full court press in Georgia, as you just recently alluded to, and that you'll be spending at least $1 million to elect Herschel Walker and defeat pro-abortion Raphael Warnock. Talk to me about, about why it's important to
2: be in Georgia right now. Well, the stakes are very high. Uh, this is the most pro-abortion administration ever. We're so grateful now that it Looks like we're going to have a divided government with a majority in the House, and we're working very hard to have that majority in the Senate there. We know what Herschel Walker will do if he's in the United States Senate. He will be a pro-life champion, and we're in Georgia to help him every step of the way until he wins on December 6th. Well,
0: we will, of course, continue to track that race and everything that's going on with these midterm elections. Thanks so much for joining me. Marilyn Musgrave of SBA Pro-Life America, always a joy to have you on.
2: Thank you so much.
0: Health providers are handing out chemical abortion drugs to women like candy, even women who aren't pregnant. And the Food and Drug Administration is warning against this recklessness. A spokesperson for the FDA told Politico late last month that the agency is concerned with the uptick of prescribed mifepristone, a drug which stops the flow of the hormone progesterone and starves the baby to death in utero. The spokesperson confirmed that medical providers wouldn't be able to properly care for women who take the drug before consulting with a professional physician. Joining me now is Chelsea Yeoman, Texas State Director and National Legislative Advisor at Human Coalition. Chelsea, thanks for joining me. You and I both know that these drugs are so dangerous. Pro-life OBGYNs have always advised against chemical abortion drugs being sent to women, especially through the mail, without a consultation. But we've never heard the FDA warn against these drugs. Is this surprising to you? It actually was very surprising to me and indicative of
3: just how dangerous these drugs truly are. The FDA, by no stretch of the imagination, is very politically active and pro-abortion. They hid any data. They went into studying these pills beforehand. Typically, those results of studies of pills before they're distributed out to the public are allowed to be made public. The FDA has even said you're not even required to report any emergencies that arise out of taking this pill before. Um, So the fact that now they are changing their tune is really indicative of a greater problem at hand. We know by outside studies by pro-life groups that this pill is dangerous for women. They are up to four times more likely to end up in the ER when they take these pills. Um, Risks of things like hemorrhaging, if they don't know how far along they are. It's frankly medical malpractice to not take certain precautions for these women and on their behalf um, before you distribute these pills. And so these are some disturbing
0: trends. And if the FDA is telling us we need to be concerned, we need to be concerned. Right. And thank you for pointing out the negligence in the history of the FDA, that's, that's very important for people to know. Um, according to the Guttmacher Institute, over half of all abortions in the U.S. are attributed to chemical abortion drugs at this point. So does it surprise you that there are so-called medical professionals who are prescribing abortion drugs to people who aren't even pregnant? Why are they doing this?
3: We know, I mean, how extreme that the pro-abortionists are. I mean, they want abortion on demand through the third trimester, even. Many states allow third trimester abortions up until the point of birth. Um, So make no doubt that these types of doctors are very committed to abortion. It is a money-making machine for them. This is a multi-billion dollar industry we're talking about. And so um, we have to be very concerned for women. We at Human Coalition serve women who are seeking abortion and give them alternatives. We give them holistic care and help um, and resources, really, whatever they need. And we will have women who go on to decide to have an abortion, and they will call us mid-abortion after taking these pills, saying... I had no idea how bad this was going to be, or maybe having in a medical emergency where we need to get them to the ER, because they're not told about this procedure. They're told, and I quote, it's as easy as taking an aspirin. Mm -hmm. And you and I both know that that's not true. So much for um, giving women real information and real knowledge so they can make informed decisions, right? So this is important to get this message out there for women to understand. It's a dangerous procedure. It's a traumatizing procedure, and um, you should be wary of doctors who are willing to prescribe it like
0: that. Right. And Chelsea, what can you tell us about these abortion drug rings on the southern border? We've been hearing that much like with the fentanyl crisis, people are smuggling expired non-labeled abortion drugs into the U.S. and distributing them to women everywhere. What else do you know about this? Well, we know that you're absolutely
3: right. That's happened. They're being very public about this. There are all these aid groups getting the pills everywhere. There's even an organization that got a boat and put it in the Gulf of Mexico, and they literally ship women to the boat for abortions. And we just need to be wary of these practices because they are dangerous for women. We have a fentanyl crisis. Um, we don't know what's in the pills. They are Those pills are not FDA-approved or reviewed. So this is a dangerous practice. But beyond that, I think we need everybody to understand who's in involved in this, that these are federal crimes you're committing. It is currently illegal under federal law, post-Dobbs, those pre-statutes, pre-Rose statutes, re-engage guys. um, And that's that's federal crime to mail uh, abortion substances. And in the states like Texas or some of these border states, um, it's it's not only criminal homicide, but there's civil penalties as well. And so these people are running afoul of the law, um, and it's just a matter of
0: time until that catches up with them. Yeah, thank you for flagging that. And President Biden announced that he would codify Roe if the Democratic Party takes the majority in the midterm elections that happened this week. And we have just about a minute left, but it looks like Republicans did not take home as many wins as expected, especially in the Senate Given this, where do you think our country is headed, especially when it comes to legal protections for the unborn? Well, we need to protect life. I mean, life is something that should be protected um, from conception. We all know
3: that. And so it's really on us as voters to call our elected officials. They do care about your voice. They care about representing you well and let them know you want support services for women expanded who are pregnant. That's known to decrease abortion rates. And you also want to see them protect life more strongly. And they're going to run strongly if we push them strongly. And so continue to engage. Um, But we do have our work cut out for us ahead and have hope at the state level. We have lots of really great state legislatures ready to go who were able to maintain their seats. And so we've got our work cut out for us ahead.
0: Yeah, that is an encouraging fact. Thank you so much for joining us, Chelsea Yeoman of Human Coalition. Coming up, actress Anne Hathaway recently used her fame to promote abortion on the daytime talk show The View and claims that abortion can be another word for mercy. I speak out. Plus, a Catholic group launches its new video series aimed at building a culture of life. We're joined by one of the leaders of the group who shares how to approach conversations boldly and advocate for the truth. Welcome back to EWTN Pro-Life Weekly. I'm Prudence Robertson. Anne Hathaway recently joined the daytime talk show The View and claimed that abortion, the killing of an innocent child, can be, quote, merciful. That is this week's Speak Out segment. Recently on The View, a show which is hosted by some very out-of-touch pro-abortion women, Anne Hathaway said, quote, abortion can be another word for mercy. Take a listen to what else she had to say.
3: When you are a young woman starting out your career, your reproductive destiny matters a great deal. I think about it all the time. I think we all think about it all the time. Yeah. And um, and what its implications are and what it means to live in a country
0: that puts us in this position. Again. To ha- again, yeah. again. yeah, Yeah. Again. And again, We have another pro-abortion Hollywood actress lying to the American people about what abortion really is. What in the world is reproductive destiny? Does Hathaway really think she's convincing anyone with this condescending display? She's ignoring the fact that women do indeed have the power to decide when it's time for them to have children by rejecting a life of promiscuity so that there are no unplanned pregnancies in the first place. She went on to say that abortion gives women the, quote, flexibility to be human. It's pretty sick and twisted that in order to be human, a woman should be able to end the life of another human. The Fellowship of Catholic University Students, more commonly known as FOCUS, has a mission to evangelize to college and university students. Despite the fact that lots of pro-life content is often censored by big tech, Focus is marching ahead with a new social media production, the 11-part Love Life video series. The project is aimed at restoring a culture of life to our nation. The videos answer tough questions that all Catholics should know how to answer and aims to equip young people to confidently profess and practice their faith even in the most difficult moments. And joining me now to explain more about the project is Dr. John Bishop, director of Focus Formation. John, thanks so much for joining me. Talk to me about the inspiration for this project.
4: Prudence, yeah, thank you for having us here, and we appreciate all of the wonderful work that you guys do there at EWTN. Yeah, so the the new evangelization is, is a movement that was brought into being by John Paul II. And anyone who's ever read John Paul II or spent a lot of time in his thought knows that the new evangelization and the the pro-life movement, building a culture of life, are two things that John Paul II had extraordinary passion for. And in his mind, those two things were intimately connected, that anything that affected the one movement would very readily affect the other movement. And so whenever we see see positive ground um, in the new evangelization, um, we want to we want to sort of cascade that into the pro-life movement, and, and whenever we see positive ground gains in the in the pro-life movement, we want to do the same um, and and produce synergy um, for for the new evangelization. So in this case, what we see in in the the wake of the Dobbs decision, a, an enormous blessing that was that was given to our country, the overturning of Roe versus Wade, we see an opportunity for a movement that we work in synergy with. Um, we see an opportunity to to gain even more ground as we build a culture of life and focus wants to be part of that
0: yeah makes a lot of sense and and in your mind what is the biggest hurdle when it comes to helping people understand the importance of restoring a culture of life
4: you know there's a lot of different fronts in the battle of, of of building a culture of life and i don't know if there's any one single thing that is most difficult but i'll name a few here that we see particularly painfully on college campuses. One is this, that the culture of life, building a culture of life doesn't only have to do with protecting unborn children, though that is very, very important. What we also need to do is we need to to build a dignified culture surrounding all things sexuality. Young people today are so confused, um, not only about the relationships between men and women, but what, about what a man is and what a woman is in the first place. And so if we're going to build a culture of life, we also have to build a culture of chastity, a culture of sexual dignity, something that John Paul was also very passionate about. Further, as you mentioned at the beginning of this interview, there are so many lies in our culture. Heresy is the air that young people breathe on the college campus, particularly heresies about the human person. And when we consider building a culture of life, when we consider the lies that are out there about abortion, it's particularly particularly important for us to shout the truth as loud as we possibly can from the rooftops, the saving message of Jesus Christ and the saving message about, about ourselves. John Paul II says in, in the Gospel of Life that when the culture forgets who God is, people very quickly forget who they are as well. Mm, and I think that's exactly what we see in our present culture, that people have forgotten God and in in forgetting who God is, they've also forgotten human dignity, um, which is the case from the moment of conception to the point of death. And that's that's what we're here to proclaim at Focus.
0: Yeah, that's really insightful. And I'd also quickly like to get your reaction to the midterm elections that happened this week. You know, several candidates who campaigned on reinstating Roe versus Wade and other abor- like pro-abortion policies that are far more extreme, these people have been elected. So, When you think about what we're up against how much more important does that make your mission on college campuses to be spreading the truth and instilling the truth in these kids
4: yeah well anyone who's been involved with the new evangelization knows that the the culture that we live in today is no longer a christian culture um we don't live in a christian age anymore we live in an apostolic age and for that reason we shouldn't be surprised when uh, ever more um anti-life uh, positions are espoused by by major public figures. But I certainly hope that not only what you said, um but also, you know, the other signs of the times in in the culture, um in the family, might be a wake-up call to people that the overturning of Roe versus Wade was doesn't mark the end of the pro-life battle by any means. Let me be very clear and and David B Wright in several of our videos that we filmed with him, makes this point time and again that the overturning of Roe versus Wade does not announce the the end of the pro-life movement. In a certain sense, it marks the beginning of a perhaps a more important chapter than the chapter that just ended. The decision about you know, decisions about life issues have been given back to the states, it's now time to dig our heels in. it's it's now time to throw our weight into the battle even more than we did before and that's one thing that these videos say over and over again it's a call to young people to be courageous and to joyfully enter into this uh, this battle to to build a culture of life to accompany women in crisis pregnancies um and to do everything that we can um to 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 build a, a nation um that is friendly to people at all stages of human development mm.
0: Well, we encourage everybody to check out these videos. They're very insightful, very educational. And thank you so much for all the work that you do, Dr. John Bishop of Focus. Thanks so much. That does it for this edition of EWTN Pro-Life Weekly. I'm Prudence Robertson. Until next time, we'd love to hear from you. Find us on social media at EWTN Pro-Life on all social media platforms. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, we're there. You can also send us a message by emailing ProLifeWeekly at EWTN.com. We love to hear from you. Remember, life is a gift. Your life is a gift. God bless.